Let's pray again, shall we? Father in heaven, uh, as, I, as I come to bring your word to these folks gathered here this morning, I just ask, Lord, that you would, you would move me out of the way. I, uh, there's nothing I can say or do to change hearts. Only you can do that. So God, that's what we're asking for. I'm asking you to bring people out of darkness into your marvelous, marvelous light. Those who are walking in the light, that you would bring them into greater light. For your glory alone, and for the good of mankind, and I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to be in Psalm 23, as I said before. You're welcome to go ahead and turn there now. Um, it's a, an oldie but a goodie, as they say. I want to ask a, a question. What, what, if, what if every wish you ever wished came true? You ever thought about that? We wish about things. What if they all came true? And the question I want to ask is, would you look more like Jesus? If every wish you ever wished came true? Is that something that you desire? That's why we're here. And if we're going to get from where we are in a world full of sin and brokenness and messiness to where he is, he asks that we follow him. Is he worth following? That's the question. Let's read Psalm 23. A Psalm of David. Now hear the words of the one true and living God. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. This is a well-known and well-loved psalm, to be sure. Martin Luther once said about Psalm 23, he said, Some of the other names which Scripture gives God, such as Lord, King, and Creator, sound almost too splendid and majestic, and at once arouse awe and fear when we hear them mentioned. The little word shepherd, however, is not of that kind, but has a very friendly sound. When the devout read or hear it, it immediately grants them a confidence, a comfort, and a sense of security that the word Father and others grant when they are attributed to God. This is undoubtedly a well-known and well-loved psalm. But is it well understood? Is this one of those things we've become so familiar with, we don't, we don't really meditate on it? These are comforting and confidence-inspiring words, as Martin Luther rightly says. But what kind of comfort do they offer, and who are they for? I want to start out this morning by 
drawing sort of a, a set of contrasts, a pair of contrasts. What Psalm 23 is saying and what it's not saying, and who it's for and who it's not for. Okay, so first, Psalm 23 isn't assuring us that everything's just going to be all right all the time. It doesn't tell us that because the Lord is our shepherd, we'll never have hard times or that we'll never suffer evil. It assures us that in the midst of hard times and suffering, and in the very midst of facing evil, we are not without a real hope. God is with us and he is our shepherd. Death itself cannot prevail over us. And the second contrast is who it's for and who it's not for. It is for his sheep. It is not for those who are not his sheep. You know, I obviously can't truly know the condition of everyone's heart here this morning, but it's, it's my duty to warn you, right? If you have not surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, you should find no comfort whatsoever in these words. If you are not his sheep, this, this isn't for you. It can be. You know, the Lord Jesus says in John chapter 10, he says, The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, about who I am. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. I pray that you will hear his voice this morning. If you have been born again, you are his sheep, and these words of comfort in the psalm are for you. And so my prayer for you this morning is you'd not only be refreshed and comforted, but that you might find a little spring in your step, in your walk with the Lord. If you have not placed your trust in Christ alone for your salvation, I pray that you would recognize his voice for the first time, that you would see him as the good shepherd, and that you would trust him and follow him. And that that trust would be evident in your life. It was evident in David's life. David writes this metaphor describing his relationship to God. Remember, David was a shepherd before he was ever king. And yet in this psalm, he doesn't even identify with being a shepherd, but a sheep in need of a shepherd. The king of Israel, a sheep in need of a shepherd. David wrote the psalm when he was at the top of his game, too, in a time of peace and prosperity, when he possessed the kingdom and was enjoying the blessings in the land that God had promised to his people. He sees the Lord as his shepherd in his past, present, and future, all in this one psalm. And he's grateful, he's joyful. It's easier to cry out to God in times of desperation than it is in times of joy, isn't it? it shouldn't be the case, but it, it often is. Grab onto this for just a second and let it sink in. I don't know who needs to hear this. All of you need to hear it, but just think about this for a minute. The master of the universe, y'all, lets you call him father. Doesn't that just make a smile sneak across your face? Doesn't it amaze you that this one true and living God who made you is also the same one who made himself your shepherd? The one who, who is near to you and cares for you, who weathers the storm with you? You know, he's not sitting up in a penthouse suite somewhere while you're suffering. 
He, he is well acquainted with your pain and your sufferings because he himself suffered for you. There's joy. And if this isn't true, y'all, okay, if this isn't true, if Christ didn't really die for the sins of rebels like me and you, if, and, and bear the wrath of God that we deserve, if, if we can get to God without Jesus, or if there is no God, and this is, this is the only life we get, then we need to find something else to do this morning. We should be doing anything else because this life is the only one that matters. But if Christ is our risen Lord who is sovereign over all creation and he is our good shepherd, then he is owed all that we have. And we should trust and follow him in every aspect of our lives. And this psalm shows us three specific ways we, we should trust and follow him. We see that we should trust his provision for us. Verses 1 through 3. His protection of us in verses 4 and 5 and his promise to us in verse 6. We should trust his provision for us, his protection of us, and his promise to us. First, his provision for us. Verse 1 says, I shall not want. Why? Because the Lord is my shepherd. You know, when God chose a people for himself. The, the covenantal promise that he made is that you will be my people and I will be your God. That's why I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. My young sons are learning the children's catechism and one of the first questions is, why should you love and obey God? And their sweet voices say, because he loves me and takes care of me. He takes care of me. He takes good care of me. But, you know, perhaps it would be a good time to talk about the difference between wants and needs, though, right? Because we, we often want what we don't need, and we don't want the things we do need. That ever happened to you? God is not a wishing well. You know, we, we bring the desires of our hearts before God in prayer so that he can either grant those requests or change our desires. And either way, we're blessed and he provides for our every need. And if he doesn't provide it, probably don't need it. Or we may not need it yet. Let's look here. What, what are some other things we need that our good shepherd provides? Uh, look, look at verse 2 with me. We'll read that real quick. He makes me lie down in green pastures, David says. He leads me beside still waters. You know, this is a, a picture of rest. You know, when you're reading the Psalms, it's poetry, right? It's poetry and songs. And so you've got to kind of connect with the lyrics, you know? Let it, let it create in that mind sort of that, that, that mental image of, of the scene of what's going on and that kind of thing. You've got to be able to connect to it, not just gloss over it. That's what I want to make sure we don't do. We don't read Psalm 23 so many times that we just gloss right over it. This is a picture of rest. A picture of safety and security. These are peaceful places, places where there are food and drink. He makes me lie down, David says. And that's interesting. Sheep don't lie down unless they are well fed. They're restless creatures. 
They don't rest until they are satisfied. The Good Shepherd, the Lord Jesus, provides satisfaction, contentment, and rest for his wearied and anxious sheep. He knows what we need before we can ask, and he leads us there. Where else does he lead us? Verse 3. Let's look here. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Paths of righteousness. Now, if you look at the Hebrew, this is interesting, okay? They, David could have chosen the word derek, which means road or path. It's, it's the most common word in, in the language for road or path, but that's not the word he uses here. He uses a different word, ma'anal, and it, it translates uh, entrenchment. So we get this idea that this is a well-worn path. It is well-traveled. You can probably tell when you're on it and when you're not. Your shepherd wants you to know that this path is safe and that it leads home. These paths of righteousness are good for us, and so he leads us in them, but not merely for our own good, but for his name's sake, he says, because he said he would. Because he said he would. He knows where you're going, too, and it's a good thing because you don't, do you? And it scares you. You know, we're like... When things are going good, we don't think about this stuff. But in those times where we're... You know, we find out we might be ill. We find out our finances aren't in order. We find out that somebody very close to us has passed away. Somebody that meant the world to us. Our, our cage gets rattled. We, we're, we're shaken up. And we ask questions like, how will we ever get there? We're like the little boy in the back seat of the car. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Will there be enough for the journey, we wonder? You know, Jesus, I'll follow you. Is there going to be enough along the way? How long did it take the Israelites to come out of Egypt into the promised land? 40 years. 11-day journey, 40 years. Right? Will there be enough? Will there be enough when we get there? The Lord Jesus, our shepherd, worth following, says, I am enough. Just follow me. Just follow me. Trust me. So the Lord Jesus, the good shepherd, he provides for his sheep. We can trust him to provide for us if we are his sheep. Second point, another way we, we should trust him is uh, his protection of us. Verse 4. Read with me. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. What, what, what happened here? What, what happened to my green pastures and my, my still waters and all that jazz? What, what happened to, to my comforts? Sometimes as Christians, we foolishly believe that our faith is a mechanism that unlocks blessing from God. And the problem with that kind of thinking, it leads us to believe if, well, if I just have enough faith, I'll be okay all the time. And when we're not, we feel slighted, like God's not keeping up his end of the deal. When we find ourselves in the valleys of life, we're tempted to cry out, I thought you were supposed to be a good shepherd, Jesus. Like, what's the deal? I'm following you. I'm trusting you with my life. I'm doing everything right. I know you wouldn't say it. We feel like you're doing everything right. What am I doing here in the valley of the shadow of death? 
Now follow the metaphor. David understands shepherding, remember, okay? He led sheep through valleys where there were caves and, and, and dens and recesses where there were predators lurking in the shadows just waiting to pounce on some prey as it passed by. And then here's David, their shepherd, who they're trusting and following, parading them right in front of these predators. Why? Well, because sometimes, Christian, it's necessary in order to get where you're going to travel through some dangerous places. And it's scary. You know, even though you're afraid, let me, let me give you some bookends, okay, of, of this picture of God's protection. Even though, and you are with me. Now, I know we're all good Presbyterians and we don't act up in the service. But I want you to repeat that after me. Even though, oh, we can do a whole lot better than that, y'all. Even though, you are with me. You're going to need that in those valleys. And don't, don't be the tough guy that just goes three quarters of the way and stops. Okay? Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You know, that looks cute on t-shirts and coffee mugs and stuff like that, but that's a lie. It's not just though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Yes, you will. Yes, you will. It ends at, you are with me. The valley is the place of vision, as one Puritan writer prayed. The place where you end and God begins. A place of vulnerability and dependence that, while uncomfortable and even painful, brings you closer to the God and whose hands are the cosmos. You know, some common ground we all have as human beings is fear. I, know, I don't know about y'all, but I've had, uh, I've had several friends that I went to high school with commit suicide in recent years. And I'm only 40. We all walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Some choose to walk alone. And when the terror becomes too great, some attempt to escape. And if they don't know the shepherd, they trade their nightmare in this life for a worse one. We're all afraid. We have that in common, even if we have nothing else in common. We can all relate on that level. And so can David. David isn't expecting to never be afraid. He knows that when he is afraid, he will remember God is with him and look to his rod and staff to guard him from danger and to guide him to safety. Look at, look at verse 4 again, just the end of it there. Your rod and your staff, he says, they comfort me. The shepherd uses the rod and the staff, the, rar, the, the rod to guard. Okay, literally, like if, if wolves came and descended on the sheep, it was the shepherd's job to beat them to death or until they ran away. That's what shepherds did. These were some hard guys. These weren't some tame, meek little men. I mean, they, they, were, they were outside in the elements all the time. You imagine they were probably sunburned and stinky and hanging out with sheep all day long. These were some rough and rugged guys. And sometimes when push came to shove, 
they had to fend the wolves off with the rod. You know, that's why when, when Jesus is talking about how he's the good shepherd in John chapter 10, he's talking about the, the hireling. Remember he, he says that? He says the hireling is the guy who's just there for the pay, and when the going gets tough, he's going to run off and, and leave you to the wolves. But it's the good shepherd who stays and defends his sheep. That's, you know, drawing from this idea here. So use the rod to, to defend the sheep from wolves. Use the staff, mainly, you know, the thing with the little hook in it, to guide and poke the sheep and grab him by the neck when he needed to, to reel him back in. That's, how, that's what he does for his sheep. Keeps us from straying, keeps us on the path. When we lack the energy to keep moving, he gives us a little nudge, right? Both the rod and the staff are a comfort and assurance to David and to all those who are his little sheep following him, traveling through the valleys of life. And even in the midst of trial, our good shepherd Jesus offers us comfort and peace. Read verse 5. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. We are in our king's presence, even when we are in the presence of our enemies. There, there's nowhere you can go where God is not. And even in the presence of your enemies, God is with you. We become anxious when our enemies, and let's be honest, y'all, we talk about enemies, okay? I'm fairly certain none of us are being hunted this afternoon. N none of us are, 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 are on the run, and we know that, that, that somebody's coming after us, and when they find us, they're just going to, they're just going to, off us, right? We all have bills and bosses and broken down cars and sicknesses and, and things like that. But David knew what it was like to be hunted and surrounded and knew that even in those times, God said to him, sit down at my table. Eat. Rejoice. Because you are mine. You have that same assurance of Christ as your shepherd, and you are his sheep. He protects you, and you can know that even in the face of death, no one can snatch you out of his hand. Lastly, if we profess to follow Jesus, if we say this shepherd is worth following, we must trust his promise to us. Let's read verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. How does David know this? David had some trials, didn't he? He encountered some enemies. He had some close calls. God was there in his trials, and he was delivered from those close calls. But what about you? What close calls are you maybe encountering that might be a little too close? Where if you're honest with yourself, you, you're not really feeling like surely goodness and mercy are following me all the days of my life. Not my life. Not these days. You know, you, 
Jeremiah loses a man so close to him like, like a father. I know some of you have probably experienced loss in, in recent years, perhaps even in recent months. You know, you, you lose a spouse. Maybe you have a, a grown and wayward child who's turned his or her back on the faith. And you're worried in your heart. Maybe you've lost a job, your means to be able to provide for yourself and your family. Or maybe it's something else. You can fill in the blank with whichever one of our problems is greater than our king. Now I want you to listen to me, y'all. Don't misunderstand me, okay? You can if you want to, but you're going to have to try real hard. I am not saying your problems are insignificant. That's the opposite of what I'm saying. I'm not saying your problems don't matter. They, they matter infinitely more than you can imagine. I want you to know that they, they matter to God. They matter to the God who made you and actually possesses the divine power to do something about it. Have you ever considered that your problems may even matter more to God than they do to you? Has, has that thought ever crossed your mind? You know, consider for a moment the reason you have any kind of problems that, that you do is because we live in a fallen and broken world. Because God's world that he created, good and perfect, was polluted by sin. You think there's any part of that he's unconcerned with? He sent his son to die to redeem it. You have a shepherd who doesn't stay in the penthouse and leaves you out in the rain. You have a shepherd who came and suffered in your place, who is well acquainted with your grief and with your sorrow. And his promise is sure. That's this shepherd. I'm reminding you the question at the beginning. I actually tricked you. There's two questions. One was, is he worth following? And the second is, do you want to be like him? Do you want to be like this man? This is your shepherd. This is the one who calls you and says, follow me. Is he worth following? Do you trust him? And you, you, know, you say, I want to believe it, Josh. This sounds good, right? I know I should believe it. But how can that be true? doesn't feel like it. Things are just so messed up. It doesn't feel like it. Well, frankly, we ask questions like that because we are so underwhelmed by God. We have so high a view of ourselves and such a low view of God. We love this life and we think it's the only one we've got. And so we'll fight against God Almighty to live it our way and on our terms. And we're disappointed every time we're reminded we're not God. And we're not entitled to have things go our way in this life. And when I say something like this world isn't about you, you all nod and say amen, right? But if I were to go as far as to say your life is not about you, there's a, at least a little hesitation there, right? There's sort of a, a yeah, but. And y'all, sometimes I, 
I wish, I don't really, the Lord's gotten me over this a little bit, but sometimes I wish I could just tell people what they want to hear, because then you'd like me. But that's not what I'm called to do. And sometimes I have to say things that sting, and I don't do it to be hateful. I do it because I want to see God's people wake up. And we've got to be reminded this morning, you're not here to make yourself happy. I know you know that. I know you know that. But, you know, Wednesday at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, when we're, when we're going and going and, and life's busy, we're trying to just, we're just trying to be happy. We're just trying to get our way. And we don't say it with our lips, but what we say in our hearts is, not your will, but mine be done. You're not here to chase your dreams. You're here to chase Jesus. What, what's, what's the chief end of man? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever, right? God doesn't just want you to have everything your little heart desires unless he is everything your heart desires. And if he is, y'all, listen, this is his promise to you. You will have it in greater measure than you could ever imagine. He will give you as much of himself as you desire. God's goal for your life should, should be your goal for your life, right? I mean, that just makes sense. Be holy as your heavenly father is holy. God desires holiness. His goal is your holiness. What if your goal was your holiness? What if? What if, what if instead of grinding every day to level up your stats and your stocks and, and all of these kinds of things, you prayed, God, never let a day go by that I do not earnestly pray to be made more and more into the image of your son. Y'all, he promises he will do that for you. He promises he will do that for you, for his namesake. Is that a, is that a desire of yours? Is that, is that, does that interest us? Does that get us excited? Does that put that spring in our step in our walk with the Lord? David goes on to say at the end of verse 6, here's that future hope. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What's the house of the Lord look like? What's that look like? You ever wonder, you ever meditate on that? You ever think about eternity? I, I would recommend to you uh, reading Revelation chapter 21 this afternoon or this evening, sometime, sometime while it's still fresh on your mind, you know, we, we forget, we get a little bit too much time between us and, and a recommendation of a passage in scripture or anything for that matter, and we just tend to forget. So do it this afternoon when you get home. Read over that with your family. It's a beautiful, sterling picture of the new heavens and the new earth. While we're on the subject, though, let me ask you, if you could have everything you want in heaven, everything you want, to be reunited with your loved ones, to have a, a younger, healthier body, no more worry, no more pain, no more grief, no more tears, and all the golf and games and activities and all that kind of stuff, too. If you could have 
everything you wanted in heaven and Jesus wasn't there, would you still want it? Heaven is to be with the giver of the good gifts we enjoy now. Not merely more and better gifts. So what David's looking forward to here is being in God's presence forever. It's what he wants. It's what he thinks about. Our thoughts tend to be so preoccupied with the, with the here and now. And when we do think about the future, there's this roadblock out here called death. And we don't know if it's, if it's way out there somewhere or just right around the corner. We don't know. But all we can seem to think about is what's in between. And the reality is you will live a lot longer on the other side of that roadblock than you will on this side. And on this side, sin makes empty promises to us. Doesn't it? Sin makes empty promises to us. Sin breaks every promise it makes to us in this life for satisfaction, for contentment, for security, for the things our good shepherd offers us and is able to actually deliver. Sin can't do that. It'll make a promise, but it won't deliver. That's what we know in this life. But God's promises are sure and everlasting. and We can trust him. We're promised that our inability to know and love God fully in this life will be lifted because he will be finished making us holy so that we'll be overwhelmed by the joy and the peace and the awe of him. The grand prize is the fullness of experiencing Christ's righteousness imputed to you and, and the Holy Spirit's work having been finished in you, making you holy so that you are able to withstand the glory of the presence of God. You will, have been, you will have been made to take it all in. Can you imagine that? Being able to take it all in. What happens when you've taken as many laps around the sun as you're going to take. When, not only when this life ends, but also when time altogether ends. What we know is that it's only the beginning of something else. For the Christian, it's waking up from a dream to a better reality. For the unbeliever, it's waking up and wishing you were still dreaming. I've been reading to my boys C.S. Lewis's The Chronicles of Narnia. I'm sure some of you grew up on those books or have read them to your children. And we're only about four books in. And, you know, the last book in the series is The Last Battle. And we're not there yet, but this, I wanted to share this with you this morning as we're thinking about the Lord's promise to us of, of everlasting life. And to put at ease some of our cares for this world. Spoiler alert, the last battle, there's a big epic battle. And everyone dies. These characters, they're all dead. They don't realize it yet. They don't realize they're dead yet. They're, they're kind of wondering what's going on. And Aslan, you know, the lion, he's the, the Christ figure in, in Lewis's, Lewis's writing. 
He's with them and he's helping them understand what's just happened to them. This is what he says. And as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only ever been the cover and the title page. Now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has ever read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Surely, brothers and sisters, if Jesus is your shepherd, he is leading you in paths of righteousness for his namesake to a place he has prepared for you where death itself cannot find you. Is Jesus your shepherd? Do you trust him? Do you trust that he'll provide for you? Do you trust and recognize that he protects you? And do you trust the promises he died to make to you? Then follow him. Follow him. Let's pray. Lord God in heaven, every star has a name, every grain of sand has been set in place by you. Every wave that crashes, every storm that rumbles, every bird that sings or beast that growls praises you with their very existence. You care for your creation and sustain it, and most of all, us. By your omnipotent hand, you uphold all things, and your justice and your mercy are true. God, I ask that you help our unbelief. Help your sheep to trust you, to know that you will provide, to know that we are under your protection, to, and to believe your promise to us. God, as we leave today, set us on the path and keep us there. Guard us, guide us, help us to know it, and remind us every day to pray for the increase of your kingdom, and that we would be made more and more into the image of your Son. Make that our chiefest desire for your namesake, Lord. And in Jesus' name, amen.